0: You're listening to a podcast of a Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Anybody know this song? You know what to sing? Life, it's my life. 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 Whose life is it? It's my life. (laughs) It's my life. It's your life. Isn't that right? Amen. Let's close in prayer. It's great to hear a good worship song at the start of the message, isn't it? It's my life. Every heartbeat of it, every breath of it is going past. You may remember last Sunday morning, for those of you that were here, I was talking about the amount of time that we have in our lives and what's left in our lives. And you may remember, you don't of course, but I'm going to pretend that you do, you may remember that I referenced how many days of life I have left. You know, that is based on... But no, 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 Denise is after getting a heart attack in the front row. No, 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 I, I, I didn't have a revelation. This is based on This is based on the average or expe- life expectancy for a male in Ireland, okay? Or for when I get to that age, this will be the average, or will be the male expectancy. So based on that, I'm not going to tell you how many years it is. Uh, you know now that I'm almost a certain half-century age. But... Um, it turns out that if I live to, to the average length of time, or if I live to the expected life outcome for a man in Ireland, I have approximately, as of last Sunday, 10,246 days left. 10,246 days left. I did the maths on it, and I worked out even how many heartbeats I had, uh, and it, based on you know, having 60 heartbeats a minute there or thereabouts. But between the jigs and the reels, I now have 10,239 days left, so I'm running out of time. And so are you, and so are you. And so we ask the question, what would we do more of or what would we do less of? This week I'm gonna be called the message, It's my life. It is your life, and you are free to do with it as you please. The question is, well what's left of your life What would you do more of and what would you do less of? Do you remember I posed that question last week? And I listed out a few things that I would like to do more of and that I would like to do less of. And one of the things that I said I would like to do less of and more of was I'd like to do less TV and more reading. And then, of course, that set off a row of texts from loving, supporting brothers and sisters in Christ who sent me texts warning me, make sure you don't watch any TV tonight, Michael, (laughs) after what you said. But well, remember what I said, not no TV, but less TV, okay? So don't have me taken out and shot. But there were lots of things that, given the limited amount of time I have left in my life and that you have left in your life, we need to focus on it, what it is that we want to do more of and what it is that we want to do less of because time is running out. I want to look at somebody whose life this morning had plenty in it. There was no shortage. He was one of the good guys, believe it or not. When you read a story, he's one of the good guys of the New Testament. And his story is told in Mark's Gospel. And the, the, the thing with this guy is that he, he was a fairly decent bloke. You might remember him as the rich young man. I want to look at this passage of scripture this morning, at the passage of the rich young man, and draw some conclusions about what it means for our lives, for our individual lives as we live out our days. This happened all 2,000 years ago. How does it work out this in 2017 in Ireland, in our westernized world? How does this work out? Let's look at how the story Unfolds. Jesus has been around the countryside in teaching and something interesting happens and it begins a bit like this As Jesus was starting on his way up to Jerusalem a man came running up and knelt down and asked good teacher What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a good start to any story any Pastor or any decent Christian would be delighted to start off with somebody who came running up and fell on their knees and said good teacher what must I do to be saved? If you were in that situation, you go, wow, this is, this is brilliant. This is absolutely textbook. The guy wants to get eternal life. He's coming to Jesus. It's perfect. He comes up and he falls on his knees. If it, I don't know. Has that ever happened to anybody here that somebody just ran up in the street, skidded to a halt from a meter away and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm sure the disciples looking on must have thought, wow, this guy is really serious. You go, oh, what a fantastic conversion is at hand. And I just love the way Jesus responds to him. So Jesus is going, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's going up, he's about to give his life. And it says this, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. I just love it. Like, you know, we can sometimes get this impression that Jesus was just all the time going on, kind of like, going, come to me. This guy comes to him. And he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? It's like, it's like if Jesus was some cork, that's the response that he would have given. <laughs> why do you call me good for? What do you want? No. Or, you know, as we would say, what do you want? What's, what, 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 what are you up to? Good teacher. Why do you call me good? only God is truly good. Of course, what the guy was getting to, what Jesus is getting to here is who does this guy identify Jesus as? Because who you identify Jesus as determines your relationship with him. Do you know what I'm saying? Is he just a good teacher or is he savior, Messiah, Lord? Is he the lamb that was slain in the line of Judah like we sang a bit earlier? Or is he just one of those good teachers? Because most people will agree that Jesus was a good teacher. Most philosophers, even atheistic philosophers, will agree. yes, some of Jesus' teachings were pretty good, and this guy was coming, good teacher, and he had it, he, and he had it figured out. And I love Jesus gives him the response. Here's a simple list of commandments: obey them. And I love his response. He says, "Teacher," the man replied, "I've all obeyed all of these commandments since I was young." He's a good guy. He's one of the good guys. He's obeyed all the commandments since he was young. I mean, come on, what a perfect situation. How can it be better? What could he possibly be missing? He's obeyed all of God's commandments, but he knows there's something, he can't put his finger, there's something just missing in his life. But he, I, I've obeyed all these things. And then Jesus' response is this, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. There's still one last thing that you didn't do. I mean, you've did all, you've made all the commandments, fantastic, absolutely brilliant. You've been blessed, your socks have been blessed off. We'll get to that in a second. Jesus felt genuine love for him. And here's the thing, people are, You know, the, the original actually translates as Jesus looked and loved him. Jesus just looked at him and he loved him. It's interesting that this occurs in Mark's Gospel, which is believed to be Peter's testimony of the story of Jesus, by the way. And Peter was well used to the way that Jesus would look at you and the things that Jesus could say to you to straighten you out in a second. And he looked at him and he loved him. So in looking at him and love him, sometimes we would say the thing that he could have done when he loved him was said, You'll be grand, boy. I'm here for you all the way. Give me a hug, big fella. That's the kind of love that we think that Jesus would do, where he'd say, you have done well, faithful servant. Come on, follow me. Yes, that would be great. But it says that Jesus looked at him, he loved him, and he loved him enough to tell him what the real big issue was here. Because this big issue, the big issue for this guy, and for every one of us, lads, there's a big issue. Every one of us. There's one big issue. There's all these little small issues going around the place. But then there's this big issue. You know what I'm saying? There's this something that's that's, that's really the big driving force. And for him, this was the issue. He couldn't let go. It says that this, that this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad for he had many possessions. Many possessions. He owned lots and lots of things. He had loads of stuff. He had loads and loads of stuff. One of my kids said to me recently, Dad, why is there nothing in our house? I said, what do you mean? He said, there's nothing in our house. I go into my friend's house and there's pictures and paintings and photographs and there's, there's chairs and there's all... No, we do have chairs in our house, just for the record. But there's all this kind of junk, you know? And there's junk everywhere. He says, why can't we just have more? And I said, have more what? He says, more stuff! He couldn't even articulate it. He said, the house is too clean and it's too empty. Somebody said to me when they came into the house one day, oh, why did you take all the pictures off the wall? I said, they never put the pictures up in the first place. This guy had loads and loads of stuff. And here's the thing about this guy. Here is an obedient Jew who obeys the law. He said, I've been obeying them since I was a child. And because of that, he happened to be a rich guy. He had lots of possessions. Now to most, and the average Jew looking on, you go, that guy is blessed. The Jews had a really simple view of the world. It was really, really simple, really binary. By and large, people who obeyed the law were blessed. And people who disobeyed the law were cursed. It was that simple. That was it. So so if a guy was being blessed and he seemed to be obeying the law, then it was obviously the blessing of God in his life. Sometimes even blessings can become burdens. Did you know that? Sometimes even the things that we're blessed with in our lives can actually turn out to be difficult. I would have to say that my three sons have been a blessing from the Lord. And you know the rest. (laughs) Sometimes even blessings can be burdens and, you know, as, as, the, as the disciples are looking, I can just imagine the disciples looking on going, what on earth is going on here? What? And here's this guy, he's blessed, he wants to get eternal life, he's obeying the commandments, what's the matter with you, Jesus? Why are you raising the bar so high for this guy? Let him come in, we'll sort them out afterwards. Think about the money he could bring to the Jesus Project. Think about the investment, we could get poster campaigns done with this guy's money. Jesus wasn't interested in his money, he was interested in his soul. He was interested in his soul, that's what he was interested in. He was interested in not what was outside of him, but what was inside of him. And the disciples were looking on, and they have this double take going, Hang on, rich, Jewish, blessed, uh, rich, Jewish, blessed, uh, it doesn't make any sense to them. Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. Have you ever read those words and go, this amazed them? Why did it amaze them? It amazed them because it didn't make any sense to them. Surely the rich were blessed and they get into the kingdom of God and everything's happy, happy, happy. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes the stuff just gets in the way. There's too much at stake for this man. Now, I'm just taking a wild guess at, the, at, at how much life this guy had left in him. So, he was probably somewhere around the age of 30, because you refer referred to as a young man until you were 30 in Jewish culture. So he was probably somewhere between 20 and 30 for what it's worth. And given the average lifespan in that time, remembering most children in Roman times, about 50% of all children, there was a seriously high mortality rate. So about half of all the children died before they were 10 years of age. Remember, no antibiotics, nobody understood... Uh, things like cancer, nobody understood. Sanitation is proper sense. Though the Jews were one step ahead because they had lots of ceremonial washing. And they didn't know why they were washing, but God knew why they were washing. Anyway, so bearing in mind his lifespan, the guy probably didn't have a whole lot more left than my 10,200 days. He didn't have a whole lot left. So what was on the line for him? The price was just too high. It's that simple. To follow Jesus... The price, in his estimation, was too high. And I think that very often we suffer um, from something when it comes to following God in our lives, when it comes to following Jesus in our life, and I, I suffer from this too. It's a human condition, and it's it's, referred to, it's actually referred to in a behavioral psychology. And it's, the, it's this idea that what we have is really, really important in our lives, that, that what we accumulate is really, really important, That it's somehow an insulation against the future, that somehow what it is that we can hold together in terms of our possessions and in our life, and it's more than that, and we'll get into that in a second, but we don't like to lose it. We suffer from a thing called loss aversion. Every human being is prone to loss aversion. That is every human being that has emotions. So here's the deal. What does loss aversion mean? Loss aversion means that losing feels a lot worse than gaining. See, Jesus said, go and sell all you have, Give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the guy goes, sell all I have, give to the poor, and take a gamble that there might be treasure in heaven at the end of it. Uh, I don't think so, Jesus. I need a better bet than that. He looks at his life, and it's the same for you. For instance, if you can ever remember finding money, I don't know if it's ever happened to you. I found 50 euros once. You know one of those moments when you find fifty euros on on the ground and you say, hey look, it's fifty euros and you look around and you go, nobody's here. Uh, But you know, (laughs) you find fifty you find fifty bucks, you find fifty euros and you think Wow, isn't that fantastic? And there's nobody around, and you put it into your wallet and off you go. You don't go to the nearest Garda station. You can if you want to, all the best with you. But anyway, when I found 50 euros, I put it into my wallet and I promptly forgot about it and spent it on ice cream and chocolate and sweets and all these other things that you do. Um, for the children, of course, is what's the average record. <laughs> but on another occasion, I lost 50 euros. It just went missing out of my wallet. Do you know the way money just kind of the same go missing out of your wallet? You, never happens to you? Never happens to you. It happens to me. Suddenly you look at your wallet and you go, whew, nothing. You know, they say that money talks, but mainly it says goodbye. <laughs> but losing money really feels painful. You kind of go, you could spend days going, Where what did I do with that fifty or did I give it to you can be there calculating, recalculating trying to figure out because the pain of losing is worse than the joy of gaining, believe it or not. And that's just built into the human being. We don't like loss. Losing anything in our lives doesn't feel good. Losing our strength, losing our time, losing our money, losing some other things that go wrong in our lives. (laughs) We have a loss aversion. Why are there so many clinics wanting to add uh, hair to bald men? Because they've got a loss aversion. They don't want to lose their hair. It's a poor example. (laughs) And today we have a voucher for Tom for Scalp Renew. $5,000 worth of treatment. But we have a loss aversion. We don't like to lose. That's why we, we, we hedge our bets all the time. That's why we settle for less, because less is definitely less of more is a lot less than losing everything. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't like to lose. Some very often when it comes to a financial decision, we have to weigh up this. Does the loss of the money we spend on this thing hurt less than the gain I get from the joy of using this thing? So for some and people have different standards and different scales for that, and I wouldn't dare to tell you what your standard your scale should be. But when we, when we have this loss aversion built into our soul, it can be quite the trick and the trap of the devil in our lives. Because we end up holding on to things that we really are wasting our time holding on to and never claiming things that really would do us good. Do you know what I'm saying? Because, that, that, because that's how we're wired. Children are wired like that. Everyone's wired like that. You see, there's times in our lives when we hold on to things and it really, really hurts us. Sometimes it's our possessions. Sometimes it can be a sinful habit. Sometimes it can be a, a bad relationship. We hold on to something and it hurts us. No matter how, no, I, I, we hold on even though it's hurting us because for some reason we, we fear the loss of letting go. Because if we let go, we're going to lose something. And very often we have nothing to lose in letting go. Have you ever heard of a thing called the monkey hand trap? Have you ever heard of the monkey hand trap? You have one or two people, that's good. Let me show you how the monkey hand trap works. Or on your mark.
1: He laboriously drills a hole in a giant heap. when he is sure a baboon is watching him because he knows baboons are incurably inquisitive. Next, he puts some wild melon seeds into the hole and works them in so that they drop into a hollow. Then he saunters off knowing the baboon is burning with curiosity.
0: Burning with curiosity.
1: The baboon doesn't trust that human being at all, so he plays it cool, but he's dying to know what gives in that confounded hole. Finally, Mr. Inquisitive can't take it any longer. He's got to know what's in there. He reaches in, grabs a fistful, and now his hand's too big to come out. (laughs) to drop the seed, he could free his hand. Now he lets go when it's too late.
0: Now he lets go when it's too late. Thank you very much. Thank you, Osai. I just want to say no animals were injured in the making of this sermon. What you don't know about that story is that he was actually getting a pet he called the baboon Barry. Barry the baboon, who later became one of his family's favorite, uh, fam- favorite pets and saved the entire family from attack of a pride of lions one Friday night. Just so you can, you know, just remember that. That's what happened to that baboon, okay? Just believe that story and just stick with it, okay? And if you're standing there thinking, oh, that poor baboon. The next time you sit in front of a roast chicken, do you ever think, oh, that poor chicken. I don't know what happened to the baboon. But he held on to it. But he held on to it, and the cost of it was his freedom and his life. Now, we don't know whether he cost his life okay. And going, oh, I can't believe he showed a video. No, animals were hurt. He held on and to the point where it cost him his life. In any substantive sense, whether he was trapped or sold or eaten, I don't know. But he ended up losing his life because he grabbed and he couldn't let go. This trick also works on teenagers, I remember, by the way. I know I was one once. Anyway. But sometimes we hold on to things, and they cost us more than we could possibly ever imagine. What did Jesus say? He said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, he says in Mark chapter 8. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will will save it. This is said in all four Gospels. Let me give you the other two ones. But if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it, Jesus said. The one, those who love their life in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity, he says in John's Gospel and chapter 12. You see, here's the gig on it. We hold on to things that we really should let go. Sometimes we hold on to a relationship that we really need to let go. Now, if that happens to be a wife and four children, no, you need to hold on, okay, just for the record. Just want to clarify that. But sometimes we can find ourselves in destructive relationships. And we hold on when really we should let go. Really, something needs to be put out of our lives. Sometimes we hold on to a destructive habit because we think we're going to lose something if we let it go. But we're not going to lose something if we let it go. We're going to find life if we let it go. And the thing about it is that it all comes back to this idea that we own things. It's my life. It belongs to me. We have a possessive culture. We've always had a possessive culture. Even from the earliest days, children have a possessive culture. You see any children in a nursery anywhere, and you'll see that there's a possessive culture about children. This is a photograph of my wife, Elma. Um, And she's still like that today. We have a possessive culture. We like to hold on to things and consider things to be mine. I own it. It's mine. It's my life. It's my relationship. It's my dog. It's my job. It's mine. I own it. And this idea of ownership can fill us in. In the case of the rich young man, he owned all of these possessions. Oh, yeah? Who owned who? Who owned who? He couldn't get rid of his possessions to follow Jesus. So who owned who? I suggest to you that his possessions owned him. That's what I'd suggest to you. The more you own, the more owns you. That's how it works. And in this case, he couldn't let go and he went away sad. And Jesus turns to his disciples and Peter, of course, speaks up and he says, he says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. I know, Jesus says. And he says, anybody who has given up lands or homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, family, will not fail to receive a hundred times as many in this life and in the life to come, eternal life, and in the world to come, eternal life. Now, if you've given up your family home to follow Jesus and you're going, I'm just waiting for my hundred homes to arrive. The The deeds are coming in the post any minute. That is not what Jesus meant, not in this world. What he meant was you become part of the commonwealth of the kingdom of God. You'll always have a place to lay your head if you follow Jesus, amen? There will always be a roof that you can get under if you follow Jesus. And when you give up your four or five brothers who hate you because you became a Christian, or you give up your parents because they hate you because you became a Christian, you gain millions of brothers. You gain thousands of spiritual parents. Are you with me? You see, we have this idea that we're going to lose something if we let go of our possessions. We're hardwired to it. You know that no message by Michael is complete without a quote from C.S. Lewis. Forgive me, but here it comes. Fasten your seatbelts. Here's the C.S. Lewis quote for today. It's from his book, The Scroop Tape Letters. And he makes a fantastic observation. He says this. All the time he says the joke is that the word mine, in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. In the long run, either God or the devil will say, mine, of each thing that exists and especially of each man. They will find out in the end, never fear, to whom their time, their souls and their bodies really belong. And certainly not to them. Certainly not to them. See, it's my life. Sometimes if I'm having a frank exchange of views with my teenage sons, I will say, this is my home. And one day my youngest, Rory, the smartest of the three of them, said, Yeah, but it's going to be mine one of these days, Dad. (laughs) And he's right. One day it's going to be his. I may have the illusion that I'm holding on to it or that it's mine, but really all I am is a steward or a caretaker of this home that my wife and I share, that we're just caretakers. And they, it goes for the, every one of my possessions. They're not really mine. I only have a loan of them. I've only been given them to look after them, to steward them. I hope so. I hope steward them well. And then they will be passed on. Look at what the psalmist, and look at what the psalmist says so many times. Look at the number of times it says in Ecclesiastes that a man goes through his life and he gathers up all these possessions and then He dies. And he leaves them and he doesn't even know who's going to get them. Imagine one of my sons, God forbid, mar- marries um, marries somebody from ISIS. And suddenly ISIS owned my house. That wouldn't be great, would it? <laughs> Yet yeah, no is the right answer. <laughs> you don't want to knock at my door and have the door open and go, I am Abdullah Bakr al-Baghdadi. Welcome to 15 Amberley Drive. Take off your shoes before you come into to my home. You don't want that, do ya? You? you want to pass it on and steward it on. I don't know who's going to own it. Do you know the interesting thing is that in many cultures, you see, we're kind of, we kind of go, well, I'm going to pass it on to my children. Well, if you lived in most countries outside of the free Western world, it's basically, do you know who owns your house? The guy with the AK-47. He owns your house. Now, that's Move Take over your house, See, casa, Give a revolution. And that's the end of your house. And we think we own it. And the same applies to our breath. Taking a breath, you go, oh, it's my life. It's my, oh, my my, my personal favorite. It's my body. Is it, baby? It's my body, baby. Ah! Is it your body, really? Because guess what? You didn't pick your body. And you didn't choose to move into it. And I'll tell you this, when the time comes, you won't choose when to move out of it either. It's not your body. It's pulsating with life, with God's given life. But when it's gone, it's gone. Every heartbeat is a gift. Every breath is a gift. And you don't know when you're gonna use up your credits. Do you remember the old, a lot of you don't, some of you will. You see, modern modern games are, are great because you die And you respawn. My kids play these kind of games where you go, somebody shoots you, and then suddenly it goes, blink, respawn. You're back and you're in and you're shooting again. Like in real life, you don't respawn, okay? Just in case you're wondering, I had said to my kids a couple of times, let you know that in real life, when an AK 47 shoots you, you don't go, I'm back again. You don't just respawn. When we grew up, the games were called, were things like Space Invaders or Pac Man. And they had this thing that would come up at the end of the game when the Space Invaders eventually shot you, and it said, Game over. And you had to put more money in if you wanted to play more. Not like nowadays. The kids have it so easy. We had tough, we had real tough video games in our day. anyway. am not But the game will be over. And everything we have, what we think is mine, my life, my breath, my body, my home, it really is only ours by loan. It doesn't work really really belong to us in the sense that we would really love it to belong to us here's a quote by a christian martyr who died in the 1950s in ecuador most of you have heard of this guy and most of you will have heard this quote but it is so true he said this he is no fool who gives what he cannot gain gives what he he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose." did i write that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose i did type it up right i just read it wrong he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot
1: lose.
0: He cannot lose. And for so many of us here this morning, you've already made the decision to follow Jesus, but there's still something you're holding onto, like that monkey with his hand in the hole. And you know that if you keep on holding onto that thing, it could cause you damage. It could do you wrong. It could really hurt your life, but you're holding on to it, and sometimes you don't even really know why you're holding on to it because you can feel the pain of holding on to it, but, but you don't let it go because you're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid. In his book, Jonah Lehrer, a, a, a book called The Decisive Moment by an author called George, Jonah Learer, who's a psychologist, he wrote the point, he said this, he was talking in this book all about loss aversion, and as I read the page about loss aversion, or the chapter about loss of virgin. Sixteen times he mentioned the word fear. It is fear. Why did the rich young man not let go of all of his possessions and follow Jesus? Fear. That's why he didn't do it. Why do we hold on to things that hurt us and not let go? Fear. That's why we do it. That's why the Bible says three hundred and sixty-five times, "Do not be afraid." Do. Not be
1: afraid.
0: We need to cast aside the fear and let go of the thing that's hurting us. And for some of you this morning, that means calling on Jesus for the first time and saying, Lord, I really do. I want to surrender my life into your hands. I really want to give my life over. I've been going through the motions. I've been hearing the words. I kind of know the message. I know the gig, but I really need to hand my life over to you. And today might be the first day that you say, Lord, I'm letting go. I'm going to let go of the thing that's killing me. I'm going to let go of my own life and hand it over to you. It's your life and it is your choice. And that's the thing about it. The life that is given to you is a gift and it's your choice about what you do with it. But there's a point must come when we have to let go of the things that are destroying us. When we look at the life of Paul, the apostle, and this is my last verse. Maybe the worship band can make their way up. When we look at the life of the apostle Paul, he went through... He went through a a desperately difficult time as he went and built churches. He was persecuted. He received all sorts of difficulties. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. And I don't mean stoned in the cannabis sense, but he was stoned in the other sense. He was stoned almost to death. He was beaten so many times. And he got to the point in his life where he's near the end of his life and he's writing to the Christians. And he's writing from Rome. And he's writing the letter to the Philippians. And he says, lads, you know, here's my situation, right? I, if I stay here, I can do some good. But if I die, I go to be with Jesus, which to be honest with you, I'd much prefer to do. But I know that for now, the right thing to do is to stay here. But he finishes off by saying this, so therefore for me to live is Christ. And to die is to gain. Is to gain. Is to gain. Nobody thinks that dying gains. But that's exactly what happens for the believer. When we die, we gain. It's when we, do, we get what the, all those treasures that God has promised us, all those pre- treasures that Jesus has promised us are given us. That's what happens to us. And that's why he could write this really crazy line. To live as Christ and to die is to gain. Oh, come on, doesn't that fly in the face of common sense? Doesn't that fly in the face of the message that you hear day in, day out, week in, week out, that the die is the ultimate loss? We, refer, we say to people, I'm sorry for your loss, or we say that somebody has lost their lives. He's saying that to die is to gain, and that is the inheritance of those who love Jesus Christ. Let's stand and pray. I want us to pray this morning. Our worship leader hasn't shown up. Has he gone gone for a walk? You can do the song without me. Okay, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing this song, All I Am. It's a song we've been singing here for a few years. All I Am is yours. Take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you they can be used for beauty. And then we're going to pray. Let's, let's do it. Take these hands. Two, three. Take these hands. Let's raise our hands. I know they're empty, but with you
2: they can be used for beauty in
0: your perfect land and all i am is yours let's try take these hands again take these hands oh
2: take these hands i know they're empty but with you they can Use for beauty in your perfect land All I am is yours I give you all my life I give you all my life I'm letting it go A living sacrifice No longer my own All I am is yours all I am is yours.
0: Let's pray. Let's close our eyes just for a moment. I'd like you to give privacy to the other people who are around you in the hall this morning. Let's close our eyes. If you're here this morning and you realize that God, that Jesus has been calling on your life. And he's been calling you to come and follow him. And this morning you want to say, Lord, I'm going to let go of that which holds me back in following you. And you want to pray that prayer for the first time. This morning you want to say, Lord, I really do want to put it on the line for you this morning. I've heard this message before, or you may have heard it for the first time, and maybe you're here for a reason this very morning. Maybe you came in, maybe with the Lord, wanting you to hear the message that you need to lay down your life. Let go of your life and take the life that Jesus has to offer. You're here this morning, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your leader, as your friend. Would you raise your hand? I see your hands. I see those seven hands. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for those this morning who are raising up their hands and surrendering for the first time their lives and their hearts lord we ask you as the scripture says would you come in and live in them and live with them lord and become part of their very being lord come and indwell them lord jesus christ wash away their sins this morning lord and give them eternal life lord I pray that today's choice and today's decision will be one that will echo in their lives and in their hearts all the days of their lives in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. If you put your hand up for the first time this morning, we want to give you a gift. We want to give you a Bible. We've got a New Testament we want to give you. Or if you're here and you're brand new, we want to give you a welcome pack as well. But I'm going to pray for one other thing as well. If you're here this morning, let's just close our eyes again just for a second. And you know, you've been a Christian a while. You could be a Christian 20, 30 years, I don't know. And you realize there's something that you're holding onto that is causing you hurt. I'm not going to identify it, you know it. There's something you're holding onto and it's causing you more pain than what it's worth. And you're not even 100% sure. In actual fact, you're quite certain that it's not something God wants you to have in your life, but you're afraid. But this morning, you wanna say, Lord, I wanna let that thing go. I wanna let that thing go that is draining my life. I wanna let that thing go that is blocking me from living the full life. If you're here this morning and you wanna let go of something that's holding you back, maybe it's that one big thing, something you wanna say, Lord, I wanna pass it, I want, I want it to go out of my life. Would you raise your hand? You raise your hand. I see your hands. Can I invite you to come up as we, as we sing here. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm not going to look into your life. But I'm going to ask you to come up and we're going to pray together. Let's sing again. Let's come up and pray together and let's make this real. We want to let something down. We want to leave it down and let it go. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. gospel chapter 10 Jesus said the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance free from fear free of the fear of the future and fear of loss will we lift our hands up before the Lord let's lift that situation before God Lord Jesus I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who want to let go and leave at the altar as it were today Lord that which is destructive in their lives Lord that which is causing pain and sorrow that which is they're holding on to but they know may yet be costing them their very lives Lord Lord this morning if it is a sinful habit Lord I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would fall on my brothers and sisters Lord Lord God and that they would be delivered from the power of that and they would know that the power that raised Christ from the dead is living in them Lord And they need no longer be slaves. Would anyone say amen? Amen. We are no longer slaves. For you have set us free, Lord. And I pray that we would walk in that freedom this morning. We lift that situation before you, Lord. For some this morning, Lord, and I know. For some this morning, Lord, I know that the symbolism of the barbed wire is very real for them, Lord. They've been holding on to a relationship that has been very destructive. A relationship in which they're being wounded regularly in which they're being wounded daily, whether emotionally or physically, psychologically, Lord, whether it's just having a debilitating effect on their faith. Lord Jesus, we pray for those brothers and sisters as they go into their week this week, Lord, that they would let it go. Lord God, that they would have the strength to let go, Lord. Do not be afraid, Jesus said. Do not be afraid. Lord, we give you our whole lives. We give them all into your hands and ask that your kingdom come and your will will be done in us and for us and through us in Jesus' name and God's people said. Let's close in prayer. Will we raise our hands to heaven and close in prayer collectively this morning? Lord, only you know the path that's ahead of every one of us this coming week, Lord. You number the very hairs on our heads Lord, we pray that as we go out into our day and into our week and into our month and into whatever is ahead of us, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go ahead of us, Lord, that your angels would go ahead of us, Lord. Keep us safe, Lord, from the wiles and the tricks of the evil one, Lord, that we wouldn't fall foul to the trap of the devil as it were, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would bless us when we get up and when we lay down, when we come in and when we go out, And when we work, and when we rest, and when we play, we give you all of our lives, this coming week, in Jesus' name. And God's people said aloud, Amen. Praise God. Praise God. We're here again on Tuesday night, brothers and sisters. Tea and coffee is being served upstairs for the next half hour or so. We're here again on Tuesday night for Night Church, and again next Sunday morning. God bless and go with you. The guys are going to play us out. Like I said, do come and see us if you prayed for the first
2: time. Amen. No
0: longer
2: my own. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. I give you all my life. I give you all my life.